evening. Uh, I'm Pastor Josh, one of the pastors here at Grace Family Church, and it's my honor and privilege uh, to teach Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, I see some new faces here, so I'm so glad uh, y'all are here. I hope you enjoy. Uh, for my rest of my friends, so glad to see you back. We were off last week. Um, let's open our word of prayer, right? Let's pray. Dearly, Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for your word and your spirit that leads us into truth and to righteousness. Uh, that by it we will know how you will want us to act as your children. Father God, I just pray that uh, as we talk about judging, or that it's something that we can be very guilty of, and sometimes it's a word that's misused. And I just pray that we bring clarity tonight, and that we'll learn to uh, discern the truth to love and have be merciful to our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, and as you heard, uh, we are talking about probably one of the most famous scriptures, uh, probably next to John 3.16, right? Which is, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But this verse, this verse, uh, as one of one of the theologians I read said, this is a one Bible verse that every pagan knows. And he says, do not judge, lest ye be judged. And, and for those of us who've been Christians for some time, we've probably even been accused of judging someone when we've called them out on their sins, right? So let's talk about, I, I would like you to do me a favor. If you have the outline in front of you, so uh, for those of you who knew, there's two sheets. Usually I try to double-side it, but uh, me and technology didn't go long today. So you know, two sheets of paper. On the first sheet is the questions that we'll get to and all the references. So for all the Bible references I use uh, are down at the bottom for you already. But turn to the second page. Uh, I want us to do a little exercise as we, as we read. So on the second page, I already have Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. And uh, for many of you, I read from the English Standard Translation, so that's the version I use. So uh, let's read along. It says, Judge not. So if you got your pen, do me a favor, un underline that phrase right there at the beginning. Judge not. That you be not judged. For with the judgment, circle judgment, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure, circle measure, you use, it will be measured to you. And then it says, why do you see, underline that phrase, why do you see the speck, circle that word, speck, that is in your brother's eye, circle that brother's eye, but do not notice, underline do not notice, The law, circle the word law, that is in your own eye, circle your own eye. Or how can you, if you want to underline that, say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own. You hypocrite, underline you hypocrite. First, Circle the word first. 
take the log out of your own eye, circle the phrase your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Underline that phrase that says you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw, underline the phrase throw, or do not throw, your pearls before pigs. Underline the phrase before, pearls before pigs. Lest they trample, underline that, them underfoot, and turn to attack you. And underline turn to attack you. If you didn't get it all, we're going to go back through this one more time. But back to the beginning. Do not judge. Or judge not. Uh, let, let's be... This, I want to be really clear up front on this idea of judging. We need a civil court system. Jesus is not saying we do not need judges or attorneys. He's not saying we do not need laws. Jesus is saying that we do not need to enforce eternal judgment of a crime. Because the, the Greek word here for judgment comes from the, uh, the Latin word that's spelled with a K, K-R-I-M-E, which we derive the English word crime from. So literally, when it comes to judgment, the word that the Greeks and Latins would have used comes from this idea which we talk about crime. And thus would have a punishment attached to it. But when we decide that we get to play judge, jury, and executioner, we have stepped into the wrong. Right? And this is where Jesus is trying to point out, because there is a, there's a, a feel within the, the Jewish um, teachers throughout the Pharisees and the scribes that they've set a very high standard. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about a Sabbath day rest and how important that is, but how they had made the law as such that you couldn't carry um, more than one letter's worth of ink in your pocket or that would have been work. You couldn't have done certain tasks like lighting a fire or walking too far without it becoming work. And this is the standard, the law in which the Pharisees and the scribes were placing upon the people and thus judging them by it. So he says, do not judge. For the judgment, again, this is that final judgment that Jesus is talking about, you pronounce will be judged to you. So, so how you look at, and by just surely observing them, if you say, well, that person's going to hell, that same judgment is going to be weighed back on you. With the measure, so it, we don't do this anymore, but... For some of you more healthy people, if you will, maybe you go to one of those food stores such as Sprouts or something where you can buy bulk granola or bulk nuts or something like that. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Where they have the dispensaries with all the stuff and you can take the scoop and you get it. It was a practice. It was a practice then as it probably is now that people would make a measure that wasn't a full Measurement. Let, let's just say a, a scoop would be, a fair measure would be 16 ounces. Right? But if someone shortchanged you and made it a 
15 ounce measurement and you scooped it and more it, poured it, and they said, well, it's a full scoop, so that must be the full measure. But it was an unjust measure because what's happening to the vendor? They're profiting an extra ounce. Any football fans in the room? A few? One, two, six, okay. About seven years ago, uh, the stadium in Seattle where the Seahawks play, they were charged, they were sued because they were selling an adult beverage. They had a small and a large. And the, the large, the small was short and the large was tall. And they charged $6 for the small and $8.50 for the large. Well, it turned out the cups were equal volume of liquid. And you could take the small and pour it into the large and it would fill it right to the brim. That is an unjust measure. They were selling something that looked large because it was taller, but in fact wasn't. And this is what Jesus is referring to. Is these, these, these people know. That he, these people were in the marketplace because going and buying goods was what you did. We didn't go to Sam's Club and buy 50 pounds of rice. That's, that's not how they worked then. But they would go to the market. They would buy what they needed. And when it came to sacrifice time, they would go and get a scoop of wheat because that was one of the offerings that was made. But some people would skim off the top because they would adjust the measure. So for us, if we are using a measuring stick for one person and a different one for someone else, that is what we're going to judge against. See that? Good. Okay. So Jesus now is beginning to turn this around to something very common. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus worked for many of his early life with his dad, who was a carpenter. He built houses. He built furniture. And so he uses this word speck. Speck is literally what you think. It's a little bit of sawdust. Um, but he says, why do you see this speck? Well, and he says, he's challenging the thought. He's going, why are you looking at this person next to you and noticing this little bitty speck in their eye? When you... Do not notice, like you are completely oblivious to the log, the beam, literally, that's sticking out of your eye. This, is, I mean, this, isn't, this isn't like a larger speck. He's using a word that would describe something that would hold up a roof. I, I taught middle school some years ago, and I talked about this lesson, and I used a baseball bat. And I held a baseball bat around on my head, and I said... Could you imagine coming up to someone saying, let me get close to your, and, but you can't because you had this log in your eye. Now I think what happens is some of us decide that, well, Jesus told me not to judge, so if I see something wrong with someone else, I can't say anything because he says, if I, if I, why, I have to deal with this log, right? I, I'm not noticing the own log. This log of my eye. Now I now I have to just stop. But that's not where Jesus finishes, right? And then that's where he then brings that challenge. How can you say this? How can you say, "Let me take out this speck. Let me deal with your issues while I ignore my own." He says, "No, you hypocrite." And that's the definition of a hypocrite. 
It's someone who walks around telling someone how they're so sinful and ignoring all the sins in their own life. They, they, they say one thing but do another. They, they have set a standard for everyone else that they themselves cannot live up to or are not living up to. He says, first, take the log out of your own life. This is the process of self-examination. Uh, when we take communion, one of the things that we are charged to do is to remember what Christ has done for our sins. Paul makes this warning in, in 2 Corinthians that some people are getting sick and even dying because they're eating judgment upon themselves because they're eating the communion in a wrong way. So for us, each of us, including myself, which I took a good portion of my morning self-examining myself before I got up here and taught this lesson on judging because I fail all the time. It is so easy to look at someone and say, you know what, you look different than me. You talk different than me. You drive far worse than I do. See, and then itself is a judgment. But this is what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants to take that time to self-reflect and look at the logs that are in our own eyes, begin to work on ourselves so that we can see clearly. I have a friend... Um, Scene, but a friend of mine who leads uh, our recovery ministry. The reason why he is so good at leading the recovery ministry is because he himself was an addict. That he had a substance abuse problem. He found a way to become sober, predominantly through Jesus, and accountability. Now he is the accountability partner for others. Why does that work? Because he has taken the time to remove the log out of his own eyes so that he can then go help others. All right, so before we move on to that last statement, because that one gets a bit confusing, I want to talk about two other words that I believe are really important for us, for us to know. Actually, in fact, I want to exercise without a show of hands, but maybe just on your face. I want to say a couple names, and I just want to see where you go. Ready? No, you're not. Kanye West. Donald Trump. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Barack Obama. Alright. The truth is, each of us came up with an opinion in our mind as soon as I said those names. Good or bad. That's the truth. Because we're going to look at someone's policies or behaviors or how they've acted or what they've said. We're going we're gonna to hold a measuring stick up to each one of them going, yeah, he's pretty straight, or no, he's pretty crooked. Because that's what we do. It is part of our human nature to want to hold a measuring stick up to somebody. As Christians, we hold this up as our measuring stick. And we like to run around saying, you're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, you're good, and you're okay. That's what we do. That is part of what Jesus is trying to encourage us not to do. Right? Because if we're just running around the world trying to figure out if someone's good or bad, 
we'll never get the chance to love them. Actually, I, I read this quote. Uh, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was Mother Teresa. She says, if you are too busy judging people, you'll never have the time to love them. If you're too busy judging people, you'll never have time to love them. So what are we called to do? Because all of a sudden, if what you're telling me that I can't judge anyone based on their actions or who they are or, or whatnot, how, how am I supposed to help them? How am I supposed to discern what's right or wrong? And comes that magical word. Oh, I guess it's not really magical, but that word. It's to discern. You don't have to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, 9 and 10, it says, And it is my prayer... That your love may abound more and more. Paul wants our love to be the biggest it can be. It says, with knowledge and all discernment. Love without truth does no one any good. It, it, for, for any parents in this room, you know that if all you did was just gave your kids all that they ever wanted and love, 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 and never gave it one ounce of discipline, what would you have? Spoiled brats. I'm glad you said it first. So what we need with love is knowledge and discernment. Why? Verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, there's a need for us to know God's will and God's heart. There's a need for us to discern right from wrong so that we can know what is excellent, pure, and blameless. Why? Because judgment is coming. It's one of your references. I'm not going to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says... On the last day, we will stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for all that we've done, good and bad, or good and evil. No one's escaping judgment. No one gets a pass. No one gets a fly. No one gets a, 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 a mulligan. All of us will stand before God and have to give an account of what we've done. Now, there's good news. Says some of us got real nervous. Going, I've got to tell God what I've done. Well, one, he already knows. So, no surprises on his part. But with Jesus, he becomes our righteousness. He becomes our hope. He becomes our Savior. He covers our sins. But this word to discern can mean to test, to examine, or to prove. As Paul was writing, Discernment means it allows us to know that which is excellent and pure versus that which is not. We should, as Christians, know the difference from right and wrong. Do you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3? I hope this is familiar for some of you. And if not, I hope this becomes a verse very familiar to all of you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Without pre preaching a whole other sermon on what that statement means, basically, from Genesis to Revelation, everything in the Scriptures is inspired by God. So either A, 
God told someone to write it, or, gave, or God wrote it himself. So, for example, what God wrote himself would be like the Ten Commandments. We know that God cut out rock from the mountain and scribbled on it himself and gave it to Moses as the law. But we also have things like the prophets. We have things that which God told through prophecy to the prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, what to say. We have testament, first-hand accounts, as we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are first-hand accounts of what Jesus said and did. Then we have inspirations of letters of inspiration. So we have the letters that were the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul and James and John and Peter and some guy who wrote Hebrews to help us. So all of this, all Scripture, everything that is written is for a purpose. It is profitable for teaching, so instruction, right? As, as all of us at one point were children, so we didn't know anything, so someone had to teach you, correct? Yes. Okay, good. Just making sure. Unless you're a know-it-all, like my nine-year-old. Reproof. Anyone know what that word means? Does anyone use that word anymore? No one uses that word. It's okay. Reproof means conviction. We should read the Word of God and by it come with an inner conviction about our behavior. Then it says, for correction. Correction is setting something straight. The Greek word literally means to hold a straight measure up to something and then to straighten it. Anyone, any builders in the room? Anyone, anyone like to frame or build stuff? Just me? Okay, that's cool. So just imagine trying to build a straight wall without a level or a plumb line. You're going, yeah, that's about right. And then you go to hang the picture on the wall and you realize it's hanging off because it's not plumb. We need correction. We need to know that if we're going off course, that we get set right. Any sailors in the room? Boatsmen's? If you're on a boat and you drift one degree off course, in a hundred feet doesn't make a big difference. But in a couple miles, you're a long way off. And unfortunately, it, it can be that slow fade. It, it's that all of a sudden we just begin to say, you know what, that's not so bad. And you know what, this isn't so bad. And you know what, this isn't so bad. And you know what, this isn't so bad. And the next thing you know, you're way off. From where you started. We need these four things. We need teaching, reproof, correction, and then training to be equipped so that we can know how to live in righteousness, so that we can be perfect and equipped for every good work. This is an essence. We need to learn discernment. We need to learn right from wrong, and then learn the Word of God so that. So that we can do the good works of God. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I love this Bible verse. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Now I think some of you who are maybe older Christians going, Well, Pastor Josh, I love that you just told me that I can't judge anyone, but you're telling me that I should discern stuff. How? How do I do it? I think this is really the question we need to answer. And I think the answer is right here. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If you see someone doing something wrong and your response to them is anger or, or, or it's, it's overly um, assertive or overbearing, if you come want someone and approach them with a sense of rage or something that's just offensive, you're wrong. Come to them in a spirit of gentleness. Think of the story of a woman caught in adultery. This is John chapter 8. And the what's interesting about this is they didn't drag out the man. I just want to point that out. They only drag out the woman. Levitical law says whomever is caught in adultery, both the man and the woman, should be brought out and put to death. That's the law. The, the law that the Jews live by of any person to Two persons are caught, then both are to be put to death. But what do the Pharisees do? They only brought up the woman. They're trying to catch Jesus to do something that is, is is wrong, so that they can prove that he's a bad guy and he's not who he says he is. Bring this woman out. They say she's been caught in adultery. What do you say? Well, there's two sides to this. If he says she's innocent, then he would be denying Jewish law. He would have broken the law. Had he said she was guilty, he would be superseding the Roman government, which would have also made him wrong. And so the, the, so he's trying, they're, they're trying to catch him to see, is he going to side with Rome or is he going to side with us? Is he going to go some other way? But in the end, he says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. So basically, he's siding with Moses. He's saying the law which God gave to Moses, which you have been instructed, is true. However, before you start throwing stones, we need to look at ourselves first. It's said in the story that Jesus stoops down and begins to write in the sand. What's said, we don't know. Maybe, I think this is just for fun, that, that Jesus was writing the sins of all the Pharisees down. And he says, well... Jim was with Sue, and, and Roy skipped out on his taxes, and Steve stole from. But just so that they knew, and, and without, but in such a heart did Jesus do this. So that when, when the woman picked up her head, Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where are the people who dragged you out? And she says, they've gone and then Jesus said these beautiful words, Neither than I do condemn you. Go and sin no more. That woman will eventually, when she died, would stand before God and give an account of her life. We don't know exactly what happened to her after that. Maybe she returned to prostitution. Maybe she went back to the exact life that she had, even though she'd been spared. Or maybe she became one of those women who followed after Jesus and gave up the life of the world and gave her whole heart to Jesus. But we've all been offered the same mercy. 
And, and I really think that's what we are called to do. If you go back to uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. And I gave the definition of mercy as having pity on someone and the consequences of their sins. So the opposite of judgment for judging is mercy. Having that ability to look at someone in the midst of their filthiness and saying, I love you. This isn't looking over their sin. This isn't saying that they're not dirty. This is saying that in their dirtiness that you're willing to pick them up. Right? Think of the, 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 the Good Samaritan, right? So this man is beat, laid on the side of the road. Two people pass him by. This third man, a Samaritan, picks him up. He, he is half naked, bloody and bruised. This man picks him up, puts him on a donkey. And then the, the, the mercy of his heart, the compassion of his heart, he pays for this man to be well. Are we like the Good Samaritan, or are we like the Pharisee that passed them by? I believe it's Luke 18. Luke 18. I love this story. Jesus is the best storyteller ever. Luke 18, verse 9. Through 14, he says, And he also told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves. See, here's the key that they were righteous. He's looking to a probably group of Pharisees and scribes and rabbis who felt themselves religious and right before God because of how they acted. Broad chested, boastful, and arrogant. And treated others with contempt or judgment. Same word. He says, two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, no one likes the IRS. And if you work for their IRS, I'm sorry. But the likelihood is no one likes you. <laughs> Maybe they do. Maybe they do. See? I get this face. Okay. No one likes the tax collector. No one wants money. Hey, okay. I don't know how to not say this. Good luck. Okay. Moving on. Tax collectors in the Jewish world were not people that were favored. Why? Because they had sided with Rome. They left their, their family and went to work for the government that was oppressing them. And then they were swindlers. They were dishonest. They used unjust measures, and they would take one. This is how they became rich, is they would say, well, the tax bill's 50, so you owe me 75. And if you didn't pay it, they'd have you arrested. So you really were out of luck. So a Pharisee goes into the temple to pray. Tax collector goes into the temple and pray. The Pharisee standing by himself. He's making himself known. He's standing in a place where he's in the center of attention, nice and loud for all to hear. Says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these others. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. The man standing right behind him. He knows that he's the tax collector. He looks at him and goes... Thank you for not making me him. I try, I fast twice a week, I give tithe of all I get. It's a pretty arrogant prayer. I don't think God heard it. But the tax collector, standing far off because he did not want to be seen, 
He didn't feel worthy to be in the temple. But he knew he needed to be with God. It says, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. See, the, this tax collector knew who he was. And he knew that he was doing wrong. Most people doing wrong already know that they're doing wrong. You don't have to tell them. For the most part. But this tax collector knew that he was wrong. And he knew that he needed the mercy of God. And then Jesus finishes with this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then these beautiful words, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So where do we go from here? This is, as individuals, real quick, we need to just find a clear path. Number one, we need to recognize that we are sinners. In, in 1 Timothy 1, you don't have to turn there, 12 through 15, G Paul gives an account of how wicked of a man he was. And he ends with a statement that says, Of all the sinners, I am the foremost, or I am chief. Paul recognized his great need for a Savior. Paul needed so much that he needed to be loved by God. So in this moment, we all have to take that moment to realize that we, I, Need a savior. Number two, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, after Peter had preached the sermon, the people came up to him and says, "Peter, what we must do to be saved?" He says, "Repent to be baptized. We must confess our sins and be baptized." We find mentors. That's our third step. So first, we confess our sins. Second, we repent of our sins. Or we recognize our sins. We confess our sins and be baptized. Third is we find a mentor. Titus 2, 1 through 4 encourages older men and women, and olders, relatively vague, but in Paul's day, this was literally people with gray hair. So, congratulations, y'all been nominated. To love on younger people. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. And younger people, you're supposed to find older people to, to teach them the faith. This is not a silo game. Then we're commanded to follow Jesus. One of my favorite Bible verses, Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow after me. The key word I love in that is daily. My choice to follow Jesus is daily. I can tell you the mornings I get up and I... Do it my way, like Frank Sinatra said, usually in the worst days. But the days I say, okay, Lord, you're guiding my day are far better. Real quick, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 as we close. Well, not really. I like I have one more verse to cover. But I want to point this out. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. 
The writer of Hebrews is unknown. There's no introduction, so we don't know. Best guess might be Paul. That's who I think it is, but we don't know. In verse 11, he writes, And this we have much to say. It is hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. He's called out the church. He says, Y'all been Christians for some time, but you're not hearing me very well. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's saying, Some of you have been in the church so long, you've been sitting on your blessed assurances too much, and you should ought to be doing something. Leading someone else, mentoring someone else. But no, you are sitting still. In fact, he says, some of you need to be taught again to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So you need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. It's not wrong to be a child. So if you are new to the faith and you're young in your faith, that's okay. But you cannot live on a diet of milk. You are not intended to live on a diet of milk. Is there any adult in this room who only drinks milk? That's all you drink? No. No, you can still drink milk. But that's not should be your only meal. Eventually you upgrade to steak and potatoes. Or chicken potatoes or something of that nature. For all my vegetarian and vegan friends, I apologize. But it's an idea. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature. For those of you who've been around a few words, you know this might be one of my favorite Greek words. It's teleoi. It's just kind of fun to say. T-E-L-E-O. Oh, sorry. T-E-L-E-I-O-U. Teleoi. It means, it's one word that's used for perfect. But it means to mature, to come to completion. So as we grow up, we become mature. We put off childish things and we learn to walk as adults. For those who have the power of discernment, there's that word again, trained by constant practice to distinguish what? Good from evil. And that's what it's all about. And, and so with that, transitioning back to your sheet, last verse, verse 6. It says, do not give to the dogs what is holy. Do not throw. He doesn't mean literally take pearls out of your pocket or off your necklace and throw them to pigs. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't go before those who will only throw it away or trample it underfoot. The fact that pigs don't need pearls. Right? We've heard the statement, don't put lipstick on a pig. Still pig. Right? So... There are some in this world, there are some in this world, some of us have met them, that literally, at the name of Jesus, they will spit in your face. Jesus is saying, don't associate with those. Be careful with whom you share the pearls of heaven with. Not that we limit. This, this is, again, we're not to say, well, you get Jesus, you don't, you do, you don't, you do. Do you do you don't know? And it's not it's not what Jesus is saying. But when you begin to talk to people and you come to people and they are closed off to God, don't waste your time. Tell them about Jesus, share them your love. If they would push you away, be fine with it. Think, consider this: when Jesus sent his disciples out, he says, "If you go into a town, find a house of peace. But if you cannot find one, knock the dust off your feet, and they will be cursed." 
We need to use discernment on when to share the gospel and when not to. That's what I'm saying. The gospel is for everyone. We are a very diverse group right here in this room. So it is for all, but not all will receive. Because unfortunately, some people will take that and turn it back against us. That's the whole reason when you go into the world and say, I, you tell someone that's a sin, and they say, you can't judge me. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's that all of a sudden that it's been spun back on us. So don't spend your time judging. Spend your time loving. Because as Charles Spurgeon said at the top of your First Jesus says, none are more unjust in their judgments of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. Do not walk around in arrogance of Christ, but in humility. We are called to serve and to give, so that all may know. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we just thank you so much for your love and mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word. We are thankful for Jesus, who has saved us of our sins, who had mercy on me so that I can share your goodness with others. Help me right now that I don't look down upon anyone else because they're different from me, but that when I can look at someone, I can see a creation of God and I can pour out love to them. Give me wisdom and discernment and knowledge so that I can understand what is excellent and pure from that which is folly and wicked. Be with my friends. Lord, help them be Christ to those around them. Let them be salt and light in their workplaces, in their homes, in their schools. Lord, we come into contact with so many people that are so far from you and they just need to know your love and your mercy. Give strength, wisdom, and courage to continue to walk this faith out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.